Welcome to Developing Organizations, my podcast about how to grow and fix the human organizations we all belong to so they can change the world. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Goodwin, President and CEO of Turning West, a national organization development and leadership consulting firm based here in the greater Los Angeles area. In the episodes of this podcast, I will invite you to follow along with me on my career-long quest to figure out how to fix the human organizations we create so that we can make this a better world. Throughout my career, I've been frustrated by organizations that should be doing more to change the world, that should be more functional than they really are, but are somehow stuck and stagnant. On this journey of mine, I'll introduce you to some of the fascinating leaders I get to meet along the way. You see, one of the great joys of my life as an organization or OD consultant is that I have the good fortune to regularly engage in the most fascinating conversations with experienced leaders. So I decided to create this podcast to capture a bit of the magic of those dialogues and to bottle them up so you can listen in on these conversations. My hope is that you too can learn along with me about how to lead organizations and to create better societies within them. So I want to give you a window seat that allows you to peek into the relatable challenges of these leaders I meet and the struggles they have as they lead companies, nonprofits, faith-based groups, government entities, and much more. Well, welcome back to Developing Organizations. My guest today is uh, Kristen Wiersma, who is Senior Consultant at the Joshua Group here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, Kristen and I are just going to have a conversation today about the, the importance of mission for an organization and, and what happens to an organization when they have an effective mission and what happens when they don't. So, Kristen, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you uh, came to this work and what's so important about it for you. Thanks for having me, Steve. Um, what a great conversation. This is one of my favorite topics for organizations. Um, my work with the Joshua actually started um, years ago when I had a communications consulting and media production company. Oh. And I found myself needing to help the nonprofit and church-related organizations and agencies across the country help them name their missional identity. Because they would come to us with desires and needs for communication, whether it's marketing or development right, or right. getting the word out about what they do. But they rarely had a sense of their their particular um, identity or, or missional perspective that would shape that message. So right. we spent a fair amount of time um, really just trying to help them name that so that it could, sh- it could be rolled out in a way that's authentic to who they are and invite people into that mission with some clarity. So we found ourselves doing a lot of that. And then I ended up doing strategic planning and, and other kinds of communication and, and planning work. And then I moved over into the Joshua and Kairos world. And the same, the same philosophy still applies. Right. right. So while while this will be uh, more uh, organization development, right? So helping people with strategic planning, leadership development, um, visioning, um, all those kinds of things, all those kinds of elements, they really are looking for a path forward, and uh-huh. not just any path forward, but a path forward that really speaks to their gifts and skills. That's really uniquely customized right. to fit them. There's a lot of organizations that are sensing the competition and the craziness of the world, and they don't know where to go. And most of the time, it's because they don't really have a strong sense of what they are called to do, what's yeah. their what's their right. holy purpose or their or their missional identity. So, in my work with the Joshua, it has just been great pleasure to watch them peel back 
traditions, uh, time-worn um, things that have, have come to be the way that they understand their work and help them peel that stuff back right. and really get to what matters yeah. and really free them then to name it, to find a story that really resonates with them, that tells their story in a, in a good way and allows them some clarity to be able to plan. Right. Because, you know, I mean, you know, strategic plan is a very effective process and leadership development, wonderful. But if you don't have a vision, none of that really helps. But don't you find a lot of organizations, they go to those other levels first, and, and then, but if their mission is fuzzy, it just doesn't work. Absolutely. One of the things I like to say is strategic plans are tools that you use to, nice to um, really implement your vision. Uh-huh. A, stra- a strategic plan nece- isn't necessarily a vision. Right. It's a set of steps to get somewhere significant. Exactly. Outside of your comfort zone. That's why it's strategic, right? It's not yes. just a technical, tactical move. It is something that's calling you out of yourself for the sake of the organization in a different way. That requires some real bold group conversation and some intentionality. That's why it's strategic. Right. So, right. But well it is put. not in and of itself. It is not a vision. No. So you no. really have to have a sense of that vision first, which hopefully is tied to your mission. Right. Right. So the mission for in my world, I would say, is like a compass that really dictates um, how you're put together and what your central purposes. And a vision in my world is really something that you're called to um, that's bigger than you are right now, that's um, uh, leveraging all the good assets that you have. So exactly. it's still you, right. but it's pushing you in a certain way. Exactly. And that you can kind of walk towards right. Um, right. using a strategic plan tool, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in my language, I describe a, a mission as who you are and a vision is who you want to be. You know, if you achieve all your wildest dreams, the world will look like this. That's your vision, right? Right. And, but don't you find, Kristen, that people get those two terms mixed up back and forth all the, all time. the time? All the time. So I had a, a helpful... Um, a helpful conversation uh, with somebody who was doing a lot of visioning work. They said the <clears throat> the the uh, mission is like a compass or or like who you are, kind of your day to day. And the the vision is like a brochure for a travel place, like when you picture where oh, you want to go in the middle of winter. Fascinating, to, you know, so that you're you're looking at a picture of white sand and a hammock, and right. you can practically hear the waves, right? So you're it's a it's a strong narrative, hopefully. Yes, uh, because vision we don't know enough details to have it be real numerical or quantitative. So we need to have it be a picture that we can fill in the blanks as we go, but should be compelling enough that it pulls us, right? So we can feel the sand in our toes, right? (laughs) That's why we call it a vision. We can see it, but I can't, I'm not there yet, so I don't know all of its nuances, but I can sort of picture it in my mind, right? You know, I think of Martin Luther King's, I have a dream, one of the best speeches of all human history, right? You know, and, and, and even when my son was in second grade and he came home as, as Black History Month and he heard that, he's been excited about that for the last 20-some years. I mean, he, he can still see himself living in a world where we all are equal, where all of us, you know. And Dr. Uh, King did not say we want a 20% increase in the next five years. Or, right, or we right. should meet, uh, you know, at Ebenezer Church on Tuesday to plan marches. He, that was absolutely not because he knew that you need to um, have a message that resonates in the hearts of people to help move them to a place where they might be more uncomfortable to dream, right? right? right. So you have to paint the picture of people sitting at a table in mutual respect and love, right? Yes. It calls them out of what they are currently experiencing and is so motivating, it moves them. Yes. They self-organize to get there. 
Right, which absolutely. is different than I'm telling you to do that. Yeah, and that <laughs> and that vision piece, as distinguished from the mission piece, should be I describe it as emotionally compelling. There's got to be an emo- if if you hear it and it doesn't scare you a little bit, it's not a really a, a vision. Right. And I also would add to that that if it's not just a little bit beyond the horizon, if our vision is to put up a new building in ten years. What happens when you achieve that, right? Then you flounder for years after that. And no one knows, well, see, vision doesn't really work. Well, and I would say also you want to make sure that the, the elements of your vision are not about the tools. So it can't oh, be yes. about staffing or it can't be, in my mind, yes, it right. shouldn't be about buildings or um, even programs specifically, In but it should really be about the impact or the way we behave together or yeah, the yeah. way we show up yes. or our presence in a particular issue um, is a different than anybody else. So instead of saying 20% increase in that, you could say we're going to be present in a place in the you know, we're going to sell parts where there's no parts to be sold or, yeah. you know, whatever your yeah. things are. Right. So it's, it's much more about posture, position, attitude, um, a bold proclamation, if you will, yeah. of doing something yeah. differently right. and not so much about the tactical stuff. Yeah, And, and again, on that, to say on the subject of vision for a minute, I, I find it's frustrating to me when organizations say, well, our organization is going to be 20% larger. You know, no one cares about your organization. What's the world going to look like when you've achieved your vision? And that's when you find a really great vision. The world's going to look like, you know, there's no, there's no poverty in our town anymore. There's, there, we've eliminated uh, the, the aspects of, of the opioid crisis in our, in our local region. You know, that's, people care about that. They don't care that the ABC organization is going to be, you know, looking like this. One of the interesting um, pieces that I've used before in, in talking about how people can self-organize to get something done uh-huh. um, when they are allowed to, into the vision itself, as opposed to you telling them what to do yes, or persuading yes, them right, or cajoling right, or bribing. Right. So this woman um, was talking about Duarte presentation and Duarte marketing um, is just, they have all kinds of brilliant resources. But one of her stories was about um, the fact that her kid was doing the ever-present um, science fair yes, project yeah, yeah, that all right. of us have we come will. to. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> but parents. he decided to do um, to take a, a, a cookie sheet and put it on top of an amplifier and pour salt in it and then mess with the frequencies. Interesting. Because when the frequency changes in certain ways, it, it, it helps the, um, the, the salt. The crystals. Crystals uh-huh. um, to organize themselves into patterns. Fascinating. That in more tidy and more, um, you know, beautiful than you could do if, with your hands. But uh, her point was that you really need to find the frequency that resonates with your people. So they uh, will self-organize to do that that's as brilliant. opposed to you telling them to do that. I love that. So you need to find the frequency. It's your job as a leader to find the frequency that resonates with your people. Because yeah. it's not about you. It's not about you. It's, and it's about, it's about a way of, of engaging others in stakeholders and the world beyond your organization and your people so that they can join in the mission, or the vision too, excuse me, the vision. Mm-hmm. So they can see, I want, I want that. Here's my dollars and here's my time and here, you know, I'm in, right? But coming back to mission, you know, um, what, what happens in your experience to an organization when they don't, they can't articulate their mission? What's that so, look like? In my work, I have found that people, when there's not an identified mission or clearly identified, yes. they're working on assumptions. Ah, and so right. those assumptions start to eat away at the uni- unity of the organization. Yes. And I would say the values also, because everyone's assuming that everyone's joining me and the way I do the work. Yes. So you get some erosion, I think, um, that happens um, of kind of the main commitments of the organization, so the mission and the values particularly. The other thing that happens is people fall in love with um, 
the details of the current structure. So by that, I mean uh, programs. Uh Because they don't know what the mission is, the the most important thing is the thing they're working on or the way that we do it or the way we've always done it, right? Right. So that stuff tends to be very um, tangible um, and very close to them. So that's kind of where they fall in love. It becomes their personal mission. So if you go in and try and change that stuff, holy moly. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So in my mind, the job of leaders is to help people fall in love with their mission again yes. so that people can let go of of the stuff that they've been accustomed, the packaging, you know, the way we do it so that there's some freedom right. to consider other ways to right. do it. I worked with a large statewide social service organization a couple of years back and I asked them, all their leaders were gathered with me one day and I said, how many programs do you have? And they said, 262. And I said, Two hundred and six. How do you manage two hundred? And they said we had no idea. And, and and I said, how did you get there? Well, we just went chasing a grant. There was a, there was an opportunity, and we were big enough, and we got it every time. So that mission creep phenomena, absolutely. And now they were so such a behemoth. They didn't know who they were or where they were going. And couldn't articulate that, and they were just a mess. So then become anemic, really, yes. in the important kind of heartbeat of, a, of, a, of an organization. I find that, that when you have, you're so thin because you've, you've chased the dollars, right, <laughs> you've right. got this wide range of sometimes clashing programmatic priorities, um, you become just this um, supermarket. Yeah. And there's really not much that ties you together that makes you unique. And so then you get a real kind of anemic uh, connection with a mission, which I find means that people have uh, lost their connection to the ultimate mission and the posture mm-hmm. and the values right. that used yes. to drive the organization and make it unique right. and make it have integrity and make it, yes. you know, all those kinds of things that we want to cling to. Right, right. I love that anemic. I'm going to steal that from you. I, I also add another A. It, it adds anxiety. Yes. So the anxiety will ramp up in the system. If, if I sort of sense that maybe there's a couple of competing missions here, and that can add an anxiety. You know, we start to add a, com- a competitive culture. I want mine to win over yours, and are we going to choose this one? And then it threatens this unity that we might have. And people get anxious. When they get anxious, they act out or they act in. You've yep. seen that, I'm sure. Absolutely. And then what a terrible place to work. What a terrible place to You're be. You're not going to get good folks. Nope. And they're certainly not going to stay if nope. they're high quality because they are looking to attach themselves to the main important things that, that the organization is a part of. So one of the ways that we get meaning and work, right, uh-huh. is that we, well, we have fun, hopefully, with other people and sure. we're good at what we do. But right. another way that we get meaning is that we're attached to something bigger than ourselves that has meaning. That's so important. So when you remove that by right. not having a clear mission or vision for that right. matter... I think you remove one of the main motivators for good people working hard yeah. uh, in service to a mission. So um, I see it all the time uh, where people feel this competition. And so, you know, it might be fun every once in a while to have like a, I don't know, a fun comp- name the name the, you know, the cat that keeps coming by the front door of the yeah, office. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff is fun. But when you set up intentional competition, you lose a, a really special um, part of building community. Uh, and yeah. I think that um, focusing on mission and, and vision can help bring some unity and help people let go of things or be in service to each other or collaborate because you lose collaboration and creativity yes, right, too in right. that competition. You really do. You know, and the funny part about this whole conversation we're having about mission and, and vision, Kristen, is that when we have this, I'm sure our listeners are going, oh, yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, I get why it's so important. But they're asking the question, how do I find that? Mm-hmm. How do we discern our mm-hmm. mission? How do we how do we stay true to mm-hmm. it? 
in your work as a consultant, how do you come into organizations, faith-based nonprofits, churches, and the like that you work with, and help them discern, articulate, mm-hmm. clarify their mission? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it always starts, especially if you want it to be representative truly of the whole organization, I think it starts with inviting people to the table to share stories. Good. So instead of telling them <laughs> what I think their mission is, I think um, it is it's good to open the conversation to as many people as possible in one-on-ones or group whatever, and have yep. people share stories. When is this place at its best? Yes. When have you experienced good stuff? Or when have you really been supported? Or when have you seen the mission at work that we claim? Or when, what values do you see? Or when haven't you seen when, them? Or, or when haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so really opening that conversation, because that's the kind of the material then that you massage for uh, for right, naming the mission. Right, right. You don't want a group of people to sit in a, in a closed room and just decide on one because no. that's not authentic. Well, then it comes as a sales job, right? Correct. I come out and, and then it feels like I call it foreign tissue rejection. Yeah. I, I don't know. You guys yeah. decided that, yeah. but you left me behind. Who did that? Right, right. right. Yeah. We yeah. don't even use that word, right? Yeah. So I'd like to start with those wide um, conversations as possible and then come together with a smaller group and take some of those stories and find those themes, yeah, yeah, yeah. those red threads, the positive stuff, the, right. <clears throat> the stuff that drives behavior in the system. And help them to name uh, a mission statement, which, you know, you could have a whole other thing on what does mission really mean? Uh, what are the parts to it? What should it do? All that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. That's next week, I guess. We'll do but, that another time. Yeah. Yes. But um, also with that, then what I like to identify motivators, missional motivators. Oh, and those are oh, like values. more about that. Right. <clears throat> so values tend to be like we love children or we love um Music Honesty. And it's so right. like, duh, like uh-huh. everybody <laughs> loves that stuff. <laughs> so <clears throat> really what, what I'm looking for, are what are the things that you cling to as a culture, naming uh-huh. the cultural values that shape behavior? Good, good. So you good. can say, well, we all, we all believe in this collaborative thing and this is how it shows up. Yeah. Or yeah. this is the way we, the language we use because we believe this about people or whatever yeah. your things are. Um, sometimes it has to do with leadership. Sometimes it has things to do with involvement or the worth of people or the way relationships get um, teams work together, whatever. But naming that in addition to the mission can really help. So when new things come up or old things need to go away, you have some rubric or some standards by which you can see, did these fit? Exactly. So a mission statement usually is small enough. It can't tell the whole story about no, how No, and you it should. Would, yeah. You don't need a, a whole page mission statement. You need Although one sentence. Those. I know they are those. And they're horrible because <laughs> no, no one knows them, yeah. right? And they're yeah. so inarticulate. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I think those motivators and the mission statement can help us shape the strategies then that we would use to do the programming or whatever your sure. the business units or whatever you choose. Right. Hopefully that's driven by the mission and the way we're set up in the culture to do the work. Exactly. I, I love that you've mentioned stories because we believe that, you know, people tell our lives and stories, right? We, we get around a cocktail party or a, a lunch meeting and we start telling stories to one another. And that's how we describe our lives and how we understand our lives. And our life is nothing but stories, TV, movie, films, stories we tell about our lives. And, and also those stories are revealing of our culture, how we set things up, right? And, and we use those at Turning West a lot to, especially to check, are we, is this something that's aspirational? Because I've heard people do mission statements, so we're going we're gonna to do all this, and people go, who's that? Who are you describing? That's not us, <laughs> right? So we'll say, well, tell us a story when you've lived this out. Well, if they can't do that, then we have to come back to them and say, is this really you, Right. Um, and we also do the reverse in saying, um, tell us a time when you didn't live this out, because that can be very informative for them to go, yeah, we kind of blow it in this area. So how do we manage that? Yes. And stories, well, uh, first I would say stories are one of the most powerful communication modes 
ever. That's true. Just period. Yep. So data points and presentations are helpful to set context, but it's right. never what lets people move themselves to a new place. Oh, it's good. hardly ever. Right. People get convinced by a data point. Right. A statistic is kind of what I'm beautifully talking about. put. Right. But what happens with narrative? The power of narrative is that it allows you to leave kind of your 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 brain for a minute, dive into somebody else's story or the story perspective that's being told yeah. and enter into somebody else's reality, which right. helps you let go of right. what you know and allows you to move. Right. So very rarely do we see that data points move people where they need to go. But story, narrative is is the place where, I mean, you have to have both, right? Yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> but you narrative do. as leaders, if you're trying to shape culture or do vision or mission work, it has to be based in narrative. Yeah. Uh, the the other question that that you brought up um, in terms of of helping people name those things when when it works and when it doesn't yeah what I find is that um, most organizations don't have a strong sense of where they currently are that's very true so they tell, think they do they but think they, they do they don't they don't so part of my job is to gently help them understand where they are because then mm-hmm. then we could be more accurate about where they need to go right right when they don't know necessarily what they're about or, you know, what's unique about them or where they are, what they need to work on. It's really hard to move forward with a plan that's appropriate. Right. Yeah. And I find that's part of the the art of what you and I do in helping organizations identify and articulate their mission is there's a combination where you've got to find this is truly who we are now and this little bit of aspirational stuff, right? You you want to have a little aspiration. Well, we're not fully, I mean, I'm not fully who I want to be and you're not either. True. True. But I have to kind of be, I have to own where I am now and have a little aspect of that. But if I name a vision for our organization is all aspirational, people are going to think that's disingenuous. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the positivity that's connected to acknowledging that we're not perfect and we're not where we need to be. You need to make sure as leaders that you're, you're talking about that in terms of, we know we got some stuff to work on, but we're not going to stop there. We're not going to spend all our time digging into the minutia of what's hasn't worked perfectly in the past because it's just not a great use of time. Instead, we're going to acknowledge those things, know where the gaps are and move forward. And that positivity, tends to pull people forward, especially when you're talking about naming things like values and mission. Exactly. Uh, we need a, a real open mind right. to consider yeah. how we might yeah. talk about that. You know, one of the things I, I imagine you've had the same experience that frustrates me is that leaders out there, and even leaders of very big organizations, they think their job is to get stuff done. And they don't understand that their job is to shape the culture, as Edgar Schein said. Their job is to is to clarify and articulate the mission and the vision. It's, it's to be always be linking everything they're doing to the mission and vision so people can see here's who we are and here's where we're going. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the, that's kind of one of the biggest lies out there is that yeah. you need to be checking stuff off a list. And I've had to, I was recently out in Philadelphia working with an organization and their, their leaders were so motivated by crossing things off the list that they were just running roughshod over each other wow. and, wow. and really a lot of mistrust and, you know, why are they doing that? And they're not communicating well. So we had to back it up and say, listen, folks, I know you have good intentions. It's not uh, getting things done. It's how you're doing them yeah. that is shaping the culture. And right now there's some damage being done. Right. Because you're not all in the same. So let's back up. Let's spend some time clarifying how we're going to do this and look at the process, really. Yeah. Um, because that whole desire to cross stuff off the list, um, while it may, may, may make you feel good, is not a great way to steward an organization and the people that make up that organization. Yeah. So really, your job, it's not about feeling good. <laughs> it's, no. It's really about saying, how can I best create an atmosphere or culture where things can get done with some unity and we're all on the same page and collaboration and all the other great stuff that you would yeah. want. Yeah. 
Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up this podcast, this uh, this episode, Kristen, what, what one or two pieces of advice might you give to a leader who is listening in, who thinks, I'm not sure we know what our vision, mm-hmm. our mission and vision are? What would you say to that? I would say invite conversation. Okay. So one of the things about um, generative communication is saying that we're going to start with the assumption that we actually don't know the whole story. Nice. I love so that. So there is an area of study in communications that's relatively recent. And their their point is that when you invite people into shaping the conversation with you, there is participation, buy-in, um, ownership in right. a way that you can't if you start just dictating. Yeah. But that's going to scare some leaders, right? I mean, that's going to frighten some folks. So that's a new way to lead. That is a, that is a vulnerable place to be as a leader. Right. But I think if you're really wanting your people to own that DNA of the organization all the way down, um, you can't help but equip your people to own that mission for themselves. That's a great piece of advice. We'll have to leave it for here uh, for now, but uh, maybe we'll come back to this conversation of how do you write a mission statement yeah. sometime? That'd be a fascinating one. And, yeah. and what makes for a good one and what makes for a bad one and which ones get used and which ones don't. Love to. Kristen, thank you very much for your time. It's Thanks been a delight to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for our first episode of season one of Developing Organizations, episode one. I want time to say a special thank you to this episode's guest, Kristen Wiersma, a fabulous and funny human being who's done so much throughout her consulting career to make for better organizations and to make this a better world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a rating. This helps others like yourself find us and join in our quest together to develop organizations we all belong to. And be sure to subscribe to Developing Organizations on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast episodes. This podcast has been a production of Turning West, 2019. Thank you very much. Join us again in the next episode.